Welcome back to the Reset Rebel podcast with me, Joe Yule, and it's an absolute pleasure to be nestled in the studios of Mega Blast today, aka Sasha Weiss, here uh, near San Carlos in the north of the island. And he started out in the early 90s as a DJ and producer. His debut album, Creation, was released exactly 20 years ago in 2003. So it feels like a good moment to be celebrating two whole decades of making music. Sasha, thank you for inviting me here into the studio today. Thank you for coming. <laughs> um, so let's start with your roots. I mean, I saw you play in November at Akasha um, in San Carlos, the nightlife jewel of the north, um, that sees huge international artists like Sven Vath playing this intimate venue, which is really just around the corner from here. And I had no idea what to expect uh, when I kind of, you know, signed up to, to come along for the evening. But I was very happy to hear that there was um, African and Afrobeat soul in your set. And obviously, you know, you started out making music in Austria. So I'm just wondering, like, first of all, how did you end up um, in Ibiza. I ended up in Ibiza. Actually, that was a, a, a very nice story. I was producing a track in Vienna. It was around 2009. And the track was called Soy Como Soy. It was a track um, with a Latin vocal from Cladis Vigilon from Cuba. And the track was more, I would say, a little bit of a tech vibe track. And this track was released back then uh, on a compilation from DJ Hell on Gigolo Records in Germany. And um, I had no expectations at all. I was happy to have a track out. And then this track suddenly obviously got played by a lot of big players in Ibiza. And people were calling me saying, like, your track is played everywhere. So it was Luciano was a main supporter, Ricardo Villalobos, Sven Veit. Actually, everybody played that track here. And so I was, of course, a little bit interested, but in Ibiza, but I still had this really typical cliche picture about Ibiza. Uh, and I was it was not really on my screen at all to, to discover the island or to, to come here. And then we got a booking um, that was, I think, 2010 or 2011 in Privilege. It was a huge party and I was actually not feeling so comfortable, to be honest, because I was not very really experienced with the Ibiza dance floor and I usually always and still do prefer more intimate venues where there's not so many people and where you're so far away from the audience. So that was the first step to the island and I was not happy. I was actually, yeah, this is what I was expecting. But then one of my best friends, Claudio Ricci, who is a, he knows the island way longer than I do and he said to me, hey, Sasha, I think you have a bit of a wrong impression, maybe. Let me show you the island. And then he drove me around the island. And then I had this moment, which you might hear from many people that are living here, which I consider as a magic moment. I felt such a strong vibe and energy. And I knew this is where I belong. I knew this is my home base. I need to come here. I felt like I arrived home. That was really weird. And then I went back home to Austria 
And I felt really like I have this call from the island. I have to come back. So I decided to save a little bit of money. And I had no clue of north, east, south, west. But I was looking for a place that I could afford back then, together with my brother Andreas Weiss. And we decided, just let's do it. Let's, let's. And then I, I found a place in the north of the island, which was uh, close to Kalalenia. I arrived November, very cold, very nervous. My father was also coming with us. And um, yeah, after a few days, I realized I'm in a very nice area here. I discovered this beautiful beach, Kalalenia, and the stairs that went down there. And this is how I arrived in Ibiza. And still today, I have to say that for me, it's, it's the best home base for artists, crazy people, <laughs> experienced people. Um, I think it's not for everyone. I know a lot of people that are not feeling maybe that vibe that I had, but I'm here now for yeah, it's now seven years. So. Yeah, I'm very thankful that I discovered this place, even if it was very late. I mean, you say you first started playing uh, at Privilege, and um, I know Claudio quite well actually. He used to be a yoga teacher, and I used to go to his classes. Yeah. Um, but that's interesting because. Um, yeah, I just wonder, like, you know, if you start off in a super club like Privilege, like, where did you perhaps maybe figure out was your, like, musical home? I mean, the thing was, as I, as I mentioned before, I think Privilege was for me, for a start on the island, too big. But I knew, because I was watching some old documentaries about Ibiza, and I tried to figure out who is based here in Ibiza, and I found uh, the Namaste family first, and I immediately introduced myself to them, and they immediately gave me a spot to play. They liked my music, and they said, like, hey, you're very welcome to play in Namaste. And so I started, actually, in the north of the island, and I felt that my music, which was always quite organic, percussive, a little bit of Afro, a little bit of Latin, fits perfectly to this vibe. And so I started playing there. And then slowly, slowly, I tried to enter and discover the bigger venues and who are the promoters behind, do I feel the vibe? Because for me, it's always important somehow to, to find your people where we are. Ibiza, I think, is... You can find everything here, whatever you're looking for. There's a very crazy Ibiza down there as well, which I try to more or less avoid. But I found, I always find my way. In my whole life, I always feel, and I trust my feel with people that I meet, and I'm always thankful for development, also for new changes. And for me still, I'm still in the north of Ibiza because it still re represents for me what I was looking for. I used to live in a city very long and I'm a nerd in the studio. I'm 24 seven sometimes. But here I do a break. I go outside. I have a beautiful nature. I meet a lot of international people. It's a very nice daily life. Nobody's talking about politics here. It's uh, you meet people with amazing life stories. And this is how I wish to live my daily life beside my music. That's why I feel quite comfortable here. It's interesting that you say that you started playing at Namaste. I mean, obviously, there's a very world music feel to a lot of your tracks. Where does this, you know, 
South American or African sound come from? In my teenager years, to go a little bit back in the past, when I was 15 years old, I was going to a hi-fi convention in Vienna because I was interested in this technology and, and good sound quality already because of my uncle. And on this hi-fi convention, I discovered the first time in my life a DJ. And this DJ was representing Technics for the Technics turntables. And this guy, his name was DJ DSL, and he was a hip-hop DJ who mixed smoothly two records together. And back then, I have to say, there was no hip-hop existing in Austria or in Germany. But there was a very small group of people that had a radio show about the culture and subculture of black music. And I fell in love with it. And with this hip-hop thing, I also discovered, of course, where are the samples coming from. And it was usually black music. It was jazz. It was soul. It was funk. It was Afro. And I always liked Latin percussion. And so I think this is the reason why I still do this Afro-Latin percussive thing, because I was always a huge fan of, of black music. And... I found it interesting when jungle drum and bass came up, they mixed already like early reggae dancehall tracks with this new broken beat kind of thing and uh, two-step and even hip house back, <laughs> back then. I like that fusion and I think this is what I still somehow do. I, uh, I like the influences of other cultures and to build bridges in an electronic context, as long as it's authentic. Mm -hmm. So when I met Heriberto, for example, or my vocalists that I had in Vienna, vocalists, they were from Nigeria, and they wanted to do some reggae, dancehall, and R&B. And there was this one girl named Sabrina, and she was, she was actually singing horrible. Mm -hmm. like the, she was completely out of tune. <laughs> and this R&B <laughs> example was really sh bad. And then I told her, like, I don't understand. You have such a unique, amazing voice. Why you not try something in your original language? And what I usually do is I'm quite good in having vocal hooks ideas. And then I sing in my fantasy Spanish or fantasy African language the groove and the hook and then I try to convince the vocalist that this is actually amazing and that this <laughs> sounds great and and this is yeah this is how I work and I also always work with musicians because I think that beside my synthesizers that I have if it comes to percussion if it comes to guitar bass I really enjoy working with professional musicians because you get a completely different output on the production these days, I know everybody is one person doing everything, mm. but I think magic sometimes happens with other musicians mm. and when they feel comfortable, meaning that I know big studios, I know major labels, there are always time is money and stuff, which I absolutely think is stupid. For me, it's important to get to know the vocalist, that he trusts me, mm. and then you get the fucking best out of it. Mm. And uh, yeah. So essentially, yes, you just basically convince people to, you know, become comfortable in their own natural habitat or in the environment that you're creating. And, you know, I love the way that you say that you don't really um, use samples or, you know, 
you like to get people in your own space and just kind of jam and see where things go? I would say I, I mean, I use samples, but I create my own samples. Sometimes I just put a microphone on and I record some cowbells or some clicks and ticks, whatever I need. But mainly, um, I think it's... Uh, I used to dig for samples in my vinyl collection, for example, looking for something very special. It's just that these days where you are in, in these online sample libraries, first of all, I believe that it's not really the hottest samples out there they put online. And the second thing is, everybody uses the same. And uh, for me, most of the music uh, is sounding very similar, and I'm missing a little bit his own handwriting of the people. There was a video that you posted the other day about um, the Isla, La Isla, and the way that you kind of, you know, used a guy from the um, Vienna Symphonic Orchestra to create the hook for that track. And yeah, it was just really amazing to see the kind of inner workings of, of that production and how you went about, I guess, coming up with the idea of using that piece of music and then obviously using a vocalist that you work with regularly in Ibiza. Yeah, I think, I mean, my way of, of producing is maybe quite old school, but I respected a lot the people back in the days from the 70s and 80s because also these people, if you consider a mini MOOC, this is, this, we're freaks. Everything that's built in there, that it sounds so amazing, the synthesizer, we're people that are really into it. And... um I used to work with jazz when I was in my hip hop times. We had like three days where we were locking ourselves in in an old cinema. I was there with a sampler, creating a little bit beats and effects, and there were like a lot of jazz musicians. And some of them were really open for these collaborations. And so I can say today I'm very thankful that I have a bunch of people and musicians that are really good ones and that any time I need something I can call them. So in this case Flip Philip from the from the Philharmonic Orchestra was for me obvious to go there if I have the possibility and record a few uh, patterns with the marimba. And um, I think this is at the end then something like some people tell me that my sound is quite organic and different and it has this own little signature because it's a it's a teamwork and it's a, it's a different thing if somebody pl- really can play an instrument for sure this track make, is then more unique than if you use just a simple four bar sample I think in general that it's uh, um, most of the productions I'm really really bored because I know a lot about production and I'm still always even if I leave my studio and I go to bed, I usually watch tutorials or I watch some stuff from the history. It's really easy today to really dig deep. But I think a lot of people are not really interested in that. A lot of people, they just see, I want to be a successful DJ or whatever. And for me, that's not the, the way to go. You, you need to dig very deep and you need to know a lot about music. And when you know a lot about music... As more you know, as more you can put this into your own creativity. I mean, somehow we are stealing all from information that we get. And this is all influencing our own progress. That's why I'm also usually a DJ that, as you mentioned before, I like to play a little bit Afro, a little bit Latin, maybe a bit soul, maybe a bit techno, depending on the vibe and situation. But 
in general, I think DJs that play two hours, the same kind of music with no ups and no downs, yeah, I go home. And even with big ones I saw on some festivals, I left because I just was like, if I see, these days it's very popular that you see DJs and obviously they are very proud when they are standing and you have like, I don't know, a thousand people, two thousand people having their phones in the air. But there is, for me, there's not a vibe. Nobody's dancing. It's just the phones. Mm. If everybody's dancing and there's no phones in the air, this is, for me, a successful DJ and a successful night. But um, there's now two worlds out there, I think. There's one which is really very focused on, on, the, on the big business part, and there's the other one, also Sven Wade, for example. I think it's really cool that he does uh, his uh, cocoon parties in Akasha. A guy like Sven Wade could easily go to a huge venue like many others do, charge a lot of money and more money, but he decides to give the island something back and does it for, I think the capacity is 385 in Akasha. And I was there the second time. You have beautiful people that are really going there for the music. You get a sticker on your phone when you enter. Please don't use your phone. And it's a completely different vibe. And he plays nine hours vinyl. This is what I what I'm missing here a little bit on the island. But maybe because of people like Sven, some people are realizing that this is actually really, really great. I love the fact that you brought that up because actually that's why uh, we didn't get to do this interview a few weeks ago because uh, there was a there was a few hangovers after Sven's last party. Um, I was also there, but I didn't go inside. And uh, I I love the fact that. He also plays the early part of the evening from sort of eight o'clock until yeah. eleven, eleven thirty. Because for an old old lady like me, I love to be in bed before twelve. Yeah. So I love the fact that he's also giving back to the people that work, you know, and have to get up at like eight o'clock in the morning and actually do a day job like I do, because that means that you can have the best of both worlds. Which I think, you know, is classified in Ibiza in many ways by the day party, but to be able to have that moment before it gets dark um, is really really special yeah absolutely I mean at, at the moment they have a bit problem with the volume outside which is of course I think also a bit difficult for the DJ but still here I was like okay he changed a bit the sound and he played and he had a vibe last time I was there was it was louder but as I said it was the second time and for me is when I go out I really like to enjoy going to dance and if I have space for dance, which actually the, the place is full, it's sold out, but it's not that packed like other places where you cannot even move anymore, mm. which I think is is great. And then you have this intimate thing. You are with Sven Veit and he's really having eye contact with you and with everybody there. And it's a, it's an energy that I'm missing a lot on, on, this, on this island. Um, most of the parties... I, when I came here, I remember it was quite a good mixture in the bigger venues of, like when Acid Pauli did his party in Hart, was a mixture of island people and tourists, let's say. And nobody, nobody cares where you're coming from. You party together. Lately, when I, I was out, I think two, three times, I just see tourists. I don't s see many island people anymore going to these places which is a pity because this was actually the thing for me that made Ibiza so special. A lot of promoters are coming here. They come in summer. They are checking the lineups. They are checking the design of the parties. 
and then they kind of copy that vibe in their in, in, in their venues. But Ibiza had always this magic thing on the dance floor where people looking at each other, smiling at each other, and you enjoy this moment. Mm. And this is, I don't know, since COVID, uh, I think this, I felt it changed a bit, you know. Maybe also the drugs changed. <laughs> I, I feel like uh, people are on very cold ego drugs permanently, which I cannot really connect to. Uh, that's maybe also because electronic music parties is always connected with drugs at some point. So, yeah. I like the fact that, you know, this, as I described it in the introduction, this like jewel of the north, you know, Akasha has really changed dramatically. I mean, obviously it was Las Dalias and that was like basically the first nightclub that ever existed on the whole of Ibiza. I think a lot of stories say that it was Lola's or that Pasha was the kind of the first nightclub. But I feel like that was actually definitely the first nightclub in the north of the island. And that's clearly where you were first initially drawn to because you're not so far from there. I remember actually when I moved to Ibiza, I always enjoyed to go to Las Dalias and to the Namaste parties and they had back then indoor, just a big room where the sound was not really good, but it was also sometimes a very nice vibe. And then I always wished for, ah, it would be nice if there would be a proper club close to my area. And then they rebuilt the place actually during COVID and I was playing the opening. I was actually one of the first ones who played and um, I think it's a fantastic venue. For me as a DJ, it's very important to have a proper good sound system. They have a proper good sound system. They have nice absorbers around, so the sound inside is really good. Then you have this kind of boiler room feel. You have the DJ in the middle, which I think is cool, so you're surrounded by the people. And it's not too big. And even if it's not so many people coming, you have a curtain behind the DJ, so you have half of the room, and it still can be a nice, nice little party. But I always have to mention, I mean, I'm doing this really for a very, very long time. And when you get more picky, of course, with things, I completely understand also that uh, young people, you know, they completely enjoy these huge clubs going crazy and mad. It's just for me, any, mm, if I don't feel it after an hour, I prefer really going home to my studio or go to bed and sleep so that I just stay there because I'm now in this place. It's not happening with me anymore. Why do you think someone like Sven wants to give something back to the island? I mean, it doesn't seem to me, I think, traditionally through time or the experiences that I've ever had here, that that has really ever happened before. I mean, I don't really know it. I just can guess. But I think Ibiza had a huge influence on Sven Veit's life. And when you hear his interviews, when he talks about when he came to Ibiza the first time, when he started the first cocoon parties... Um, I completely understand what he means because I think this island, if you really come here and you appreciate the whole place, not just coming in and out for a party to use it for promotion, I played in Ibiza, then there's something here on this island which is really magical. And you can really, if you have a vision, things can happen. I had the most amazing you go out to Panita, you eat something, and then you meet Adam Port, and you meet and me, they are there. And it's just this, it's very natural flowing if you are in the flow with the island. And I think that the island is also, in my case it was, it was a very good teacher. Because I think back then when I came from Vienna, and when I was young and I, I played my gigs, my ego was also very, very high. And 
I had a feeling that the island helped me to ground myself a little bit. Just to go out here in the winter time and to sit at the sea on the beach alone gave me a feeling that everything is okay. Everything is good as it is. You just go with the flow and you will see there's nothing to worry about. And I think this, you know, it sounds very dreamy, like uh, like un unreal, but this is the thing here. Ibiza is a bubble, but it is real. And if I consider when I go to Austria, which I do almost weekly, it's like two different planets. <laughs> and it's my inner child that I think you lose when you grow up in a city and in a, in a, in a country that it's, let's say, more conservative, then you're, uh, I see with my daughter now, you know, you're born, you're a kid, and then you're a teenager. And then comes this time, now it's time to become an adult, you know, with this. And in Ibiza, you can stay you as, as a child. You can be yourself. Nobody here I saw is pointing a finger to me if I go with my slippers and my shorts <laughs> to eat. That's normal here. If I go on the beach, I see people living here, they say, hello, how are you doing? It's an, it's the way I like to live my life, mm. to be nice to it. I have never seen a fight in Paranita. There's people <laughs> taking a guitar and singing, you know. And this is why I think I also appreciate and love this island. And on top, I've made amazing connections here, very natural. You know, you play on a party, then there comes a guy, he loves your set, then this guy is part of Scorpius Mykonos. Then, and this is the thing, um, in Vienna, I, I would sit, maybe I sent my demos out, I would be a nerdy guy, like trying to get feedback. And here you sit on the beach with, with others, and it's, it's easy going. Mm. And this is the way it could be, as it Ibiza shows that for me. <coughs> and that's why I like to live here. Yeah. And it's, uh, of course, I think the people that decide to live here, they live here for a s similar reason sometimes, to get out of this classical daily wheel. And this is maybe also because you feel easily connected here with people. Uh. You say, obviously, that you go back um, frequently to, to Vienna, obviously, to see your family. Um, but I wonder, like, what is it when you are here that inspires your music in, in a way that perhaps, you know, it doesn't back home? For sure... The weather here is a huge part. I'm very sure that when I'm living in a city or like in Vienna, where it's most of the time gray, rainy, uh, you know, I would also do different music. I'm not saying that it's bad, but I would do different music. <laughs> I think here I have an, a completely different energy. I wake up and I have 300 days a blue sky and a beautiful weather. And I'm pretty sure that weather has a huge influence on us, how we feel. Uh, even myself, I go to Austria and sometimes after three days I'm really struggling. I'm getting very moody. I'm not feeling comfortable there. And uh, as soon as I'm landing here in Ibiza, I feel... I, maybe it's also because it's really this thing, I don't have to explain myself here. Mm. Where in some other parts you have to always explain and people cannot imagine your life, what you do. Here, I don't need to explain. I can be myself, who I am. And 
I think this is a very important thing for your own progress in life. But this is just my personal uh, experience that I have. Yeah. I mean, you talk about this, you know, influence of dub and reggae and, and this, you know, scene that you were part of when you when you first started out. I mean, what did that what did that look like sort of 20 years ago when you were making your first record? In Austria, um, this was a very, very small underground scene. Actually, this was this was a crew of people. They had a place called Dub Club, which was every Monday in an underground place in Vienna called Flex, which was a place where every Monday everybody f who did music was going there to hang out with other producers. And Vienna had a, they had this this duo Kruder and Dorfmeister in the early 90s. Mm -hmm. They became very famous, and we had a really nice little scene back then. I learned a lot from these people regarding quality of music, and it was also they were more or less very understatement. Mm -hmm. They didn't like to have photographs, photos, no interviews. They changed later, maybe a bit, but back then for me, I sucked all these in. And um, we had a little scene that even went over the borders through Kruder and Dorfmeister, where we then were connected in this Charles Peterson corner, where we played at set for this uh, his worldwide festival. And I loved that time, and I don't want to miss it at all. But I'm a person when things get boring or too nothing is coming. Then I need to change something. And I had in Vienna that feeling before I moved to Ibiza, nothing is going on. When I came home from a party, I felt actually not really good. And I felt like it was unnecessary. You don't have really an infrastructure like you have here. Mm. Music and uh, an artist is not so important in an, in Austrian life. Yeah. And that's why I, I had to move on. And I think that Traveling in general is something I can recommend to everyone. Traveling, meeting other cultures, other people, other music gives you a lot in life. Instead of always being in that safe place maybe, you know, where you maybe move your furniture every f four years. Um, and I know it, 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 it's a step... I rem for me it was weird. People were like, wow, you really... Wow, you really moved to Ibiza. Wow, it's, a, it's a huge step and blah. And I was like, I don't know. I'm, I, it's a two and a half hours flight. If it doesn't work or if I don't feel comfortable, I mean, I move back, you know. Mm. But I, I, I give it a try. And I think this thing to try things out, which are maybe not, where you don't know where you're going, mm. is sometimes the best things that happen to you in life not to be afraid, not to be scared of anything and just follow your true instincts in life. That's what I always did and uh, yeah. I think it's beautiful and I think it's how most of us ended up here. It's like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? We just have to go home again. And I, it sounds like you belong here, you know, your latest uh, edition of uh, La Isla, the EP that you made with Famos and, you know, the vocalist that you've got on that track uh, both those tracks was yeah obviously influenced by your African roots but also somebody who I assume lives here exactly and <laughs> it was actually funny um, Heriberto Cruz has a 
band where he plays classical uh, Cuban music. Yeah. And I saw him already quite in the beginning when I came to the island. There was in San Juan always this market on Sunday um, where they sometimes had bands playing. And I remember that I saw him playing there and I was already impressed because he's an amazing percussionist and a really, really good singer. And then I forgot about him. And in 2019 I was working on the track and I gave up on the track because no, there was no progress and I was like, fuck it, I start something completely new. And then I made a very simple groove and then I played with my Moog, a very simple bass line. And then this happens to me, luckily always, I have this vocal in my head. And then I start singing this vocal to my iPhone <laughs> to keep the idea. And, and I was like, okay, I need a... I need a cool vocalist. And then I was posting on Facebook, hey, he's a family, you know, maybe any guy. And they were like, Eriberto Cruz, Eriberto Cruz, Eriberto Cruz. And I was like, ah, this is the guy. Yeah. And then I got in touch, and it was quite funny because Eriberto speaks no English and I don't speak Spanish. <laughs> so he comes to, to my studio, and I play him the track, and I play him my fantasy idea on the phone. And he was just like, mm, bien, he likes, cool. He left back home, came the next day, and I think in 30 minutes the vocals were done. And I was like, wow, this, this guy is really, really professional. And um, this is how the story started with Eriberto. And this is also the thing you have here amazing musicians on this island. And especially in winter time, it's great to. Con I was working with Paramji back then, I did a track. There's so many talented people that deserve much better than they do here in the season some of them playing in these beach clubs for like really really low money and uh, I try to find people and connect mm -hmm. and with Eriberto it worked out that at the end we traveled internationally and we have a new track coming actually in two days it's mm -hmm. our third release now and yeah what's the new track called? La Diosa which was also a nice story because when I was traveling with Roberto and playing live, I'm always looking for tracks that could fit in our in our set. And I discovered a track from an African artist called Shaikna, who released a track with a reggae singer a few years ago. And this track was also released as instrumental version. And this instrumental version we used for our shows. And then Heriberto created a very, very good hook line and a very good vocal for this instrumental that people already in Mykonos were telling us like, wow, this track is amazing and they were singing it. I just, I bring the idea of a vocal hook and a melody. Like this is what I did in Vamos. I had the verse and the refrain already in my head how I would like to have it sounding. And then this is usually what I do. Then I look for a vocalist who gets the idea and does it better in his language. Yeah. Very interesting. I, I've often, I mean, obviously I, I recognize the lyrics in Vamos, but not the ones in La Isla. I was going to Google them before I came, but I didn't have time. <laughs> um, talk to us about, you know, this corridor that seems to have opened up between Ibiza and Mykonos. Like what's the difference? What goes on over there that's so kind of similar perhaps to here that you perhaps find a synergy between the two? I think Mykonos is just also another um, island that people like to go to party and um, 
We are playing since a few years regularly in Scorpius Mykonos, which is a wonderful venue because you're direct on the sea and it looks like an amphitheater where they have like the, the live sessions. I prefer Ibiza, to be honest, because uh, Mykonos is very dry. You don't see so much green there. And for me, as I said, I just I just go there when we have our show and then I stay a couple of days. That's that's my my Mykonos part. Mm. I'm just interested. I, I haven't been yet, but I just see, you know, obviously you go there sometimes and um there's a lot of people I speak to spending time there and a lot of um a lot of parties that are happening. I mean you've also spent some time um in an, in the other place that I feel gets a lot of traffic in the winter time, which is Tulum. What's what's your experience has been like over there? I was the first time in Tulum I think 25 years ago or something like this. And when I was in Tulum back then, Tulum was a long beach with a few cabanas and not electricity during the night. And it was one of the most amazing places I've been. And then for many years, I haven't been in Tulum. And Tulum became in the last years, obviously a, a hip, hip spot for, for parties. I think especially during COVID times, because as I remember, Tulum was one of the places that had no restrictions and a lot of people were going there. My last time in Tulum was two years ago and me personally, I'm I'm not really impressed. Uh, first of all, um, there's a lot of people that try to sell their story that they're very spiritual and... Um, spending lots of money in very very expensive places wearing a poncho and some fashion and having a chain with some ketamine is for me not spiritual at all and I also don't really feel connected to this kind of people to be honest second there's cartels there's a lot of military I don't feel comfortable when I see this always driving around and when you hear a lot of stories what's going on and third, just people standing with their phones for Instagram to, I mean, to loom. I watch all this and I, I, I'm living in Ibiza, so I have absolutely not a feeling that I'm missing out anything there. And in general, I'm not really a fan of places that are very exclusive for just a certain kind of people. I think music should be for everyone and prices should be affordable also for kids that are interested in an artist. They cannot go there because it's expensive. They cannot afford the entry. And this is something I would wish for that this price policy uh, would change, you know. I had the exact, exact same uh, experience as we were talking about in the last episode and seeing the army trucks kind of on the streets and you know this was obviously a place where threw open its borders during a time when nobody was allowed to go and have any fun anywhere apart from there um so i think that definitely changed the dynamic and and the landscape really of uh, of what was kind of happening there and, and perhaps not for the better i think this is happening right now in a lot of places on this planet i was a few months ago in costa rica and a friend of mine from Vienna, he has a beach, beach. It's on a beach club. It, he has a few cabanas to live there, and the restaurant. And it's an amazing place because it's one of the most beautiful sunsets I have seen. 
And um, what's happening is, what he told me is, usually he was allowed to do parties till in the early morning. And now rich investors coming to all these places. And then they build five-star luxury hotels. And then they start being uh, not very friendly to the people who live there for 40 years, mm. trying to stop the music, trying to get them away. And I hear this from many, many places in the world where you have actually in the beginning quite undiscovered, beautiful nature and a nice crowd of people doing something yeah and then everything gets sold and more money and more money and more money and more money and I I mean I will always you know f I find my spots and I have my people where I can slow down a bit and it's just the question if this is really what we want because this looks to me already like a big monopoly you know and, and nothing else I have no problem with people with loads of money if they do something nice, you know. But if it's just only for rich people and you feel already weird when you are there, and um, it, I, I, I'm not really supporting this. Yeah. And I'm also struggling as an artist sometimes, playing in spots where I have a feeling, I feel like a animal in a zoo sometimes. I mean. You play there a live show. This is not happening the first time. And then people, because they have a VIP table or they feel like they are VIP, phone on with the light on the phone coming like 10 centimeters in front of your face, filming you, being on stage, filming you. And you're like, dude, we have a show. I mean, this is fucking basic manners. You're not just, you're not owning this place because you have a fucking VIP table. Or I'm standing somewhere and then in the back some guys are like touching me like on my shoulder and I'm like, yes, please. I'm, You're standing in my view. And I'm like, dude, what the fuck are you talking about? <laughs> I mean, and how you say it, you know? You can friendly, like just basic manners. But these people sometimes they don't have this. And that's what I'm like, okay, what the fuck I'm doing here, you know? What are your feelings on VIPs in general? I think the last guest on the on the first episode said uh, he describes as um, very invested persons. Um, with VIPs, I mean, I had experiences in let's let's take an example with Pasha, where I was with friends um, in the VIP area. It was a night when Dixon was playing, and I had a feeling on that night that these people. They were all dancing, they really all enjoyed, and they just want to afford their little privacy table. I didn't have a feeling that these people feel superior or they... This is one kind of a VIP thing, which I think, if you have that money and if you want to buy that table and you feel comfortable with it, go for it, I don't have a problem. I have a problem when people from the VIP believe because they leave a lot of money that they can then already influence what music is played and more than just having a table like influencing somehow in a very negative way on a party when I see a band playing and they build down the percussion after the show and then the guys from the VIP because they're already completely fucked up go there and start playing the percussion this is where the VIP stops for me yeah, because um 
But in general, I understand that the VIP are financing these parties sometimes. And I think a lot of VIPs are also friends with the DJ. It's not that I have a problem in general with rich people or something. Because Ibiza used to be a place where rich and poor and things were dancing together. It's more about what's happening, who is buying what, and what is the plan with this, and what is the plan with this. If there is a good intention behind, I'm happy to meet rich people and uh, if they support a, a good thing. But if it's just to make more money and to get these other people away, you know, you, we don't want you here, and uh, then I think it becomes dangerous for any any place. How do you think the music scene on Ibiza can support or better support the ecosystems of the island? I don't know if if the music the music industry here. I don't know if if this is their intention at all. I think um, Ibiza is right now just the the core of uh, electronic music where everybody's coming to make business. I don't see really uh, conscious actions uh, for for nature or for a good ecosystem. I I, I didn't. It would be nice. But I don't, I don't see anything going on like this. <laughs> I mean, and it's also I don't know. I see a lot of tourists, and it's usually always these people that are sometimes complaining in their country about immigrants and and how they live and what they do. These are the ones coming here and leave a huge mess on the beach, you know, because they are coming for holidays and they think they can do whatever fuck they they want to do. So you have all these plastic bottles and dirt in the sea. It's it's a pity that there is not more. But I think it, it's not true. There's a, I think there's a lot of movement on the island as well, with these ecstatic dance things mm. and people who having um, uh, events that are more about nature consciousness and not only about uh, big business. That's what I mean. I think on Ibiza you can find everything. It's just in summer, obviously, very intense. With the uh, with the money side and uh, I don't know where it develops. I'm also not really following every step. For me, it's always just a, a feeling that I have when I go there and if I enter a club to see what's going on here. Mm-hmm. How do people treat me at the entry? How security is chosen in the club? How are the prices at the bar? This kind of of, of things. And I'm not really going out much in summer here. I have to say, I'm looking for. I always like the pre season and I like the after season. But in the main season, I'm either traveling myself or I try to be in my studio and make music. Mm. What are your plans for uh, for the winter here? Is that a time when you're going to be focusing on your creative output? Yeah, absolutely. I think in winter, Ibiza is a beautiful place. It's quiet and um, it's nice to discover the island also because then you can drive around everything is empty you can get spaces for food drinks nature parking supermarket but in general for me Ibiza is uh, I mean because I'm traveling back and forth I spent let's say almost half of the time with my daughter where I really not really focusing on anything else not much and when I'm here in Ibiza I, I work I do my music it doesn't matter if it's summer or winter, but in winter I feel also a bit more comfortable because it's not so hot. <laughs> and uh, yeah, as I said, 
I'm not really like to go out when I find no parking and if I want to eat and I have to make reservation before. Mm. It's not so. I mean, you describe yourself as a nerd. How much time do you spend squirreled away in your in your studio? Basically every day, I would say. Um, the thing is, when I'm creative, I stop thinking. And I'm definitely a guy who sometimes maybe overthinks things. Also, let's say when I go out and then I watch what's going on, I analyze, I observe. And when I am creative, I stop thinking and I'm in my world and I do something. I exchange my energy into something else. And um, it can be sometimes that I'm three days just that I just go to the toilet and maybe grab very fast something to eat and back to the studio but it's also I mean I'm not doing permanently music it's also sometimes like in the last three days a lot of cabling trying to make my old vintage gear work which is this is really old stuff from the 70s sometimes and sometimes some outputs are already scratching and I try to connect all this vintage gear into my computer synchronize it that it runs with the same tempo. And this is is quite tricky because it's old stuff. But on the other side, I love it. <laughs> I just, I used to collect synthesizers and drum machines. I was buying, selling, buying, selling. And the stuff that I have now is all really, it has a, and this is the same with music, I think. It has a vibe. If I turn on my mini MOOC, I can sit here for three hours and playing with my oscillators and stuff and uh, it sounds so different to me than when I'm doing something in the box. I have to work in the box as well and I'm a huge fan of technology uh, development. I, I'm a really, I'm a fan of even when, when AI, people are like, oh, it's so crazy for the music, it's going to kill. No, I, I use AI as a help, for example, for EQing. Uh, AI makes a suggestion of how the snare drum could maybe sound. So I use it as a little helper in there. And for this, I think it's it's always about what you do with with the new technology. You know, you can abuse it in a way that it makes no sense or you use it. At the end, it's all tools to use. And I really like this combination of new technology and super fast computers with mega terabytes of possibilities and the other world where I'm creative I mean when I started doing music I had a sampler with a few MB so you had really not much time to record now I can push my record button and I can record one hour playing on my MOOC and then maybe from this hour I use maybe just four or five minutes but this both worlds thing is uh, I love it what is a mini MOOC? A mini MOOC is an old synthesizer. This is the mini MOOC over there. It's an old uh, synthesizer that was used in so many productions that we heard back in the days. The same with the Roland 808 drum machine. Marvin Gaye's actual healing used, for example, a groove of the. And I think this, these machines are quite timeless because the music that we listened in the 70s, 80s, 90s, a lot of this music had these classical synthesizers in there or these drum machines. That's why they feel also sometimes, I think, when you hear them, subconsciously quite familiar. Mm. And it's also 
the sound of it. it it's a, it's if I use a mini MOOC, it has three oscillators. It sounds in your face fantastic. When I do this with a plugin, I need to put way more effort and work in to make it. It has the character, but it doesn't have this this this, this sound or the drum machines that have actually a own groove in there. If you record this drum machine, you will see that every kick and snare is not first of all sitting exactly on the grid like you would in the computer it's like always a little bit in the front and back mm -hmm. and also every hit of a snare drum looks a bit different in the waveform meaning it sounds a bit different and this is i think the reason why these machines have this kind of uh, feeling and groove feeling that makes it for me way more interesting than very static uh, uh, computer-based programming of, of drums mm. depending of the music of course and these bits of kit that you've personally had since the 70s or things that you've bought because they're vintage no, no no i um i was lucky um back then when i was around 20 to buy some uh, used vintage gear for actually a very good price because this stuff is now crazy expensive most of the time you don't find anything anymore because they were like limited and the second thing is that they uh yeah prices are completely nuts and i kept the basic synthesizers and effects that i think that make also sense mm -hmm. i have um, sometimes also people coming to me clients that have let's say uh, a demo production yeah and then i can really help i have a page it's called pimp my production where i try to um help producers okay. that maybe don't have the opportunity um, with all this vintage gear so I yeah it's like a, it's like a, how should I say it's, it's a it's a good makeup thing mm -hmm. that I put on this that it sounds nicer and so that's what I also do sometimes interesting I think yeah it's obviously very evident that you spend a lot of time trialing uh, and experimenting with lots of other different uh, machines and bits of kit. So if the Mini Mook is your favorite bit of kit, what kind of, um, you know, maybe what kind of sound in Africa, African music is the is the thing that you play with the most maybe? With African um, instruments, I cannot really tell. It's sometimes I hear something an instrument which I might not even know and um, if I like it, I like it. Embira is something, it's an instrument that I think is, 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 is very nice. Everything percussive I like. I have also here like different types of shakers, they all sound different and um, I think in general, I mean when it comes to electronic, I like my Mini Moog, yeah. But there's every every piece of gear that you see here has its own little signature sound and character. This is an old string machine, a Solina, that you will hear like a Pink Floyd records, and uh, this combined with old vintage phasers. Is I mean I'm this is why I say I'm, I'm a nerd maybe because I'm also really sitting then and I I really try to hear in detail because for me. I do music for myself. Mm. I think this is a this is a main thing that maybe some people they do something that they get respect from others or be successful with this and that. I need to be happy. I do this for myself. Mm. And when I really feel it 
And for example, with Vamos, it was one of these tracks. Sometimes I just know this is as I try to produce mostly timeless tracks. I want to produce tracks that when I hear them in 10 years or somebody else hear them in 10 years, that it's still a good track. Mm-hmm. So I'm not using too much modern today's effects for this reason because it could be that this effect is like very hot now this year and the next year is already like I can't hear it anymore this is my aim make music for every situation not only for dance floors this is why my tracks like Vamos La Isla they are actually almost I would say Latin pop tracks because you can also hear them you know on, 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 on just Spotify during the day for me, my music doesn't need to be always, it's not always for the clubs. Mm-hmm. There's the club thing, which I like and enjoy, but I'm now 47 years old. I also enjoy the silence and I like chill out, down tempo. This is the thing that, that, that I'm in general I'm missing because we had that in Vienna back in the days. <coughs> A variation of music during the night. I would be so happy to have, let's say, two rooms or three rooms with really different kind of music mm. and not always the kind of thing. I mean Ibiza is quite far to the floor I know there's not a lot there's not really anything going on with break beats or with drum and bass it's, it's not really happening here but I'm considering actually <coughs> also with my friend Claudio and some other friends to maybe start our own little parties mm. and the idea is t- Maybe we still are in, this is a process and we are still writing our ideas down. But my dream would be to have parties with almost no entry, like really just covering the (coughs) most necessary cost that we have if we have a DJ flying in or something. But it should be a meeting point where people coming to have a good time, like it was back in the days. And it, it, I'm not a guy who thinks everything was better back in the days. But there were certain things that I carried through my whole life as something that was special, that was nice. We were interacting as humans and not just permanently on the phones. And on these events, I also, yeah, maybe there's the afternoon a dub reggae DJ and later on maybe it's a bit more housing. This is for me important. I don't want to have these borders in music. Let's see, maybe we develop something for the winter and, and, and make a startup. Interesting. Well, I'm looking forward to uh, to hearing all about that. And I think that brings us to a neat closing for today's episode. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for, for letting me talk. Reset <laughs> <laughs> Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel. It's the Reset Rebel.